We are doing Mission 119 together. Uh, I can't encourage you enough to jump on board with this. It's been fantastic. The conversations it has uh, instigated between people in this church and uh, that I've heard about and then uh, with myself, just, just discussing you know, what the Lord is saying to us through the scriptures. And we're uh, right in the middle of Genesis right now, but if you have not uh, started yet, we're coming into week four. And you can just hop on to mission119.org, sign up, and begin reading with us. And our small groups have been fantastic. Uh, Jackie and I had our first one this week, and just really, we really enjoyed discussing the scriptures together and hearing what God has to say. But it is, it's just so encouraging to see God at work here and speaking uh, to all of us. And when people get into the scriptures and really look into them and pray to, pray to God for uh, his uh, wisdom and understanding, I mean, God does great things. You have to get into the scriptures to grow. You really do. Um, they're, they're there for a reason, you know. So I really encourage you, get, in, get into this, jump in with us. It's been phenomenal. Um, one thing that's so encouraging to me as, uh, as the senior pastor here is the gentle reminders that God gives me that he is, he is behind what we're doing here, you know. When we, when we pray on Sunday mornings and, and prepare for, for service, we, we pray, God, bring the people here that we need in this body to build up the body of Christ so that we can be a functional body and serve you together. You know? So we're, 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 we're just trusting that God's bringing the people here that we need. We trust that God is, is um, knitting us together in community and in his word by his Holy Spirit. And one of the great and gentle reminders that God gave me this morning as I as I woke up very early today, without even my alarm, you know, something that God really impressed upon me. Um, I was thinking about preaching and thinking about sermons and, and thinking about how we're preaching along the lines of, of Mission 119 and, and uh, finding those nuggets that God wants to say. And God just reminded me gently, I will teach my church. You know? And that's a really cool thing to be reminded of because we all believe that God is behind everything, but God is teaching us through, through reading the Bible as an individual and discussing it in your small groups or with each other. God is teaching us. In the youth group, God is teaching us. Uh, from the pulpit, hopefully, God is teaching us. In the worship, God is teaching us. God is growing us, and God has a plan for our church. It's really encouraging. So, if you, so uh, we're going to be looking at the life of Jacob today. And if there's one thing, if you've been reading along with us, that, that I hope that you've gotten about God uh, thus far, and the thing that I re was really impressed upon me this week, is that God is, very, is a very gracious God. He's a very gracious God, and he is a very patient God. God is very gracious and very patient. God, um, you'll, you see, if you, we're going to look at Jacob's life, but God will not give up on individuals. Even as they struggle and they fail, God sticks with people in remarkable ways. And seeing his faithfulness in the life of Jacob, it's so punctuated. God does not forsake people or turn his back on people who try and fail, or people that persist in not learning the lessons he's trying to teach them. He works with them over years and decades. You'll see in Jacob's life, very simple lessons uh, trying to teach Jacob something, and Jacob just not getting it. But God is just working on his life time and time again. 
So God is, God is just gracious, incredibly gracious. And the other thing is God is patient. And I love the, the translation of patience in the Bible, long-suffering, because that's a pretty good description of, I think, what God might go through as he works with us. He is, is patient with us. Uh, he works over time in our lives. And he wades through our stuff and doesn't give up on us. Uh, he's a long-suffering God. Um, he, he sticks it out. And I think that when, you, when we bring into focus this idea of God's grace in our lives and God's patience and his long-suffering in our lives, it just changes us to think about those things. It, it changes the way we interact with other people. So we're going to look at this, the life story of Jacob. I'm going to hit on the major points of this and just try to see these two concepts of grace and patience uh, as God worked with Jacob until he finally got it. <laughs> There's a lot of neat stuff along the way. So if you've uh, been reading, you know that Jacob had some major deception and sin issues passed down to him from his family really thoroughly. And maybe you didn't realize it. Uh, he's one of the, you know, we say Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's one of our patriarchs, one of the fathers of the faith in our minds. But this guy had some serious, serious issues. And he was born into a situation where there was extreme deception and trickery. In fact, it's not very nice of his parents, but his name means deceiver. Jacob means deceiver. So apparently it was a moniker they were okay with. For their son. I don't think that, <laughs> that's pretty tough. So we have grandfather Abraham, father of faith, who, who, as we saw last week, you know, had some fear issues that led him to lie about the nature of his relationship with his wife, Sarah, saying, you know, she's my sister, not my wife. And she, twice, not once, but twice, because he was worried that the kings and the leaders of, of the land he was passing through would kill him to get his wife if he didn't lie. Uh, so that's, that's where it kind of started. Of course, it started with Adam and Eve, but you understand. This is, in this particular strain of the family, this is where it started. And then Isaac, uh, Abraham's son and Jacob's father, lied to this, seemingly the same king or, uh, <laughs> that his father had lied to and said that his wife, Rebecca, was his cousin, not his wife. And the same thing happened. Uh, he got found out. And they got turned around and God protect the, protected them. But there were some serious deception and lying problems in this family that everyone participated in. Husband, wife, children. It was really bad. And one of the things we talked about in our small group this past week is as you think about your life and how you, your constitution as a person and the family that you came from and your children... You know what sins and damaging life issues and patterns have been handed down to you, which you are unwittingly, sometimes, handing down to your children and other people in your family, you know? This deception problem was passed down through modeling, of course, like watching how mom and dad do things. I mean, he did the same thing his dad did, but it was also... Uh, probably a demonic, evil thing that was in the family that was not dealt with. And so, what are the things in our lives that we've inherited that we are sort of oblivious to and comfortable with that maybe we shouldn't be so comfortable with that God wants to take care of? And I think uh, the, this is the kind of thing that we 
we're talking about when we talk about soul care and taking care of past baggage issues so that we can walk full and free in the Holy Spirit and be healthy people. That's some of the things we talk about. But is it a legacy of divorce and broken relationship? Is it lying and deception, like in this family that we're looking at today? You know, is it a poverty mentality? There's never going to be enough. And so we're always grasping at uh, things very tightly, um, and, and m- money in particular. Um, is it abuse of any kind? Shouting, you know, pride. Just you meet people where the whole family has the same kind of pride issue, and it's, people can't really see it. Um, anger. Pity parties, playing the victim, blaming other people. These are characteristics that have passed down in our families. And these are things that God wants to deal with. And God is gracious and God is patient to deal with those things. But Jacob, you know, he had this issue that God had to work with, this deception issue. So let me set up this story. Um, obviously, it started poorly with having this whole family um, not really being honest with one another. But the second blow that Jacob really had from almost the moment he was born is that he and his twin brother, uh, one, Jacob was favored by his mother, and his brother Esau was favored by his father. Right from the get-go. And that's a curse. What a terrible thing to have happen. And it says in uh, chapter 25, 26, Jacob was grasping at Esau's heel when they came out of their mother. It's this poetic image that... Uh, you know, they are going to be in competition, and that mom and dad are a seriously big part of that. And they are not unconsciously playing favorites. They consciously favor one over the other. These are people just like us, and some of you know exactly what that is. That's not ancient Bible times to you. That's like, oh, that was my family growing up. You know, that's, that's something that God wants to deal with. So the first thing uh, was obviously this favoritism problem and this deception problem. But Jacob pulls this trick on his brother Esau. It's not really a trick. Esau participates fully in it. Uh, Esau is a hunter. He comes in famished, and he's the firstborn. And and Jacob says, I will, you look very hungry. I'll give you this bowl of soup if you'll give me your birthright as the firstborn. It's laughable, right? You read that and you're like, seriously? And he does it. He likes soup a lot. <laughs> and it, it seems really dumb when we read it. You know, why would someone do that? But think about the gift that each of us have been, been given in our relationship with God through Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit and all the blessings of God in our lives that we have. And many times, we take our birthright and the identity God's given us for granted and we just participate in all kinds of sinful behavior and we do stuff that's foolish and very ridiculous and reckless in our lives after being given this great birthright. Really, are we that much more intelligent and refined than Esau? You know, we, we walk around and we forget about who we are in Jesus and we get into all kinds of trouble after we've been given this great gift of salvation. So really, it's not so far-fetched. So the next scene, uh, after the birthright is sold for, for a cup of soup, uh, Isaac has just gotten through lying to King Abimelech about his wife, and they got that resolved. And the next scene we have is Jacob's mother, Rebekah, working with Jacob to trick his blind father, Isaac, into thinking 
that he is Esau, his older brother, so that he would get the blessing from the father. Can you imagine how dark that is? Can you, can you imagine that? Your aging father loses his eyesight. And so mom and, and her favorite son, let's trick the old man and get him to give you the blessing. So your brother's a hairy guy. We'll glue, we'll glue hair to your body. We'll put some of the, the smells that your brother has on him so that you smell and feel like your brother Esau. And we'll trick the old man. And you'd think that would be a really tough thing for your conscience to take, but Jacob sits there and just bald-faced lies to his poor blind father who suspects that maybe it's not Esau, but he isn't quite sure. He lies to him so consistently, so deliberately, that dad finally says, yeah, you smell like Esau. I'll give you the blessing. And back in those days, once you gave that blessing, these were serious words, you couldn't take him back. And so when Esau came in to get his blessing, dad thought that he'd, he'd uh, blessed Esau and he found he was tricked and there was nothing he could do for Esau. Uh, there was nothing except for being the secondborn blessing, more or less, even though he was the firstborn, which, of course, poured gasoline on that rivalry between Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and Esau was waiting for an opportune time to kill his brother. He figured, after my dad is dead and the time of mourning is over, I'll kill him then. This is our family that we all came from here as Christians, right? I'm not trying to paint a picture with hyperbole either. This is just the story, guys. And you know it if you've read it this week. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob, the deceiver? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright. Now he's taken my blessing. And again, so, some people find this dysfunction shocking. And some, some of you are thinking, some of this reminds me of my childhood. <laughs> you know, this stuff was in my family. But in all of this, uh, God was gracious to Jacob. Jacob the liar. Jacob the liar who tricked his blind father and stole his brother's birthright. God was gracious to him, and God was patient with him because God had a plan for his life. People often think, how can God work with me after I've A, B, C, and D for this many years? You know, I've walked away. I was unfaithful. I turned my back on God for so long. I'm, I'm only going to get the, you know, if I get any blessing from God, it's not going to be very much. But the truth is that God is so gracious and so faithful that when we turn to God, he's the only one that will treat you as if you never sinned against him when you come to him through Jesus. God is so patient, so gracious, God didn't give up on Jacob. And right after this incident of deceiving his blind father and his brother, God came to Jacob in a dream. In this dream, God reaffirmed the covenant that he had made with Isaac and Abraham before Jacob. And this is a very significant covenant, so I'm going to read it for you. From Genesis 28.10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth. 
with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be spread out uh, like the dust of the earth, and you will be spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There is none other than the, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next day, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all, of that, you, and all that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. If you've never read straight through this story, you sometimes fail to see what led up to this vision. And God affirmed his covenant with a man who was an unrepentant liar. That's what God did. He was gracious. And then he gave the man who was an unrepentant liar, who he'd chosen to put his favor on, a picture of his own salvation and plan in sending us Jesus. Um, this Stairway to Heaven isn't just a Led Zeppelin song that we enjoy, but this is something that Jesus brings up again in John, and he said to his disciples, he says, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. So this image is a picture of God taking God's realm, his rule and reign, heaven we call it, and the earth and joining them together through Jesus Christ, who came to seek and save the lost. This is a picture of constant flowing communication between God and humanity that, that he revealed to Jacob, the unrepentant liar. So Jacob gets the covenant, and he gets a picture of the work that Jesus himself was going to do on the cross. And just like Jacob, we are people that are recipient, recipients of grace from God. This opening of heaven to earth where we can just freely hear from God, talk to him, and, and connect with him is a gift of God's grace. This covenant that we've received, uh, we've inherited from our forefathers of love and favor from God is a gift we've received by grace. And Jacob's story is certainly something that reveals that to us. So, moving on in the story, uh, Jacob decides to avoid his brother Esau, who wants to kill him, by moving in with Laban who is uh, his uncle. And he gets a taste of his own medicine, for those who know this story. He agrees to work for his uncle for seven years in exchange for Laban's daughter, Rachel. And Laban deceives Isaac, or Jacob, rather, and after seven years of work, he gives him his daughter, Leah, who Jacob was not working for those seven years. And then he says, well, if you work for me for another seven years, I'll give you her sister, too. And so he gets... He gets tricked uh, big time. And what ensues after, after Rachel and Leah are married to Jacob 
along with their handmaidens. This is not God's ideal will, guys. <laughs> Polygamy is bad news, man. <laughs> it's, never, it's just never blessed by God. It was, it's practiced culturally in this culture, but nothing that God ever condoned. And it is a soap opera of epic proportions. Jacob just sits there while his wives and their handmaidens fight about who's going to sleep with him that night after a hard day's work. It's just messed up. Uh, and, and you see this, it's like almost as messed up as The Bachelor, man. You know, all those, <laughs> those 20 women, they're all insecure all the time. Like, oh, I hope that he loves me. Does he love me? I don't know. Let's, I, have to, I need to get some assurance from him. Um, and those of you who laughed, we now know you watch The Bachelor. So awesome. It's, it's good television, man. <laughs> But it's so sad, um, these, these, these sisters are in the rivalry that Jacob and Esau had, essentially, but their bargaining chips are having babies for him. So, oh, I had babies, and she had babies, and we're in, in a baby competition. And through this messed up situation, we got the 12 tribes of Israel. <laughs> okay, interesting. It's very sad. Genesis 30, 20, and... Uh, this, this quote, this time my husband will treat me with honor because I've borne him six sons. Think about that, sad, the sadness of trying to earn someone's love uh, in this way. Very sad uh, situation. So in all this drama, God blesses Jacob. God is gracious in the midst of this extreme uh, dysfunction. And after Laban and Jacob's relationship is kind of on the rocks, uh, the Lord says to Jacob in Genesis 31, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will bless you, and I will be with you. So now Jacob is headed back to where Esau lived while running from his uncle, who he feels uh, is also angry with him. And in what we see next, in between the rock and the hard place, so to speak, we see uh, another extreme example of God's patience and grace with Jacob. Um, first of all, Laban pursues him, and God tells Laban, don't harm him. And Laban has enough sense not to harm him. So that's, God, God says, I will take care of you, and he takes care of him from Laban. Jacob is terrified of meeting up with Esau, and so he divides his people up into three groups, and then another fourth group of random people. And he says, okay, each group has some of my cattle, some of my wealth. Give them to my brother, so he's going to get wave after wave of gifts, and maybe that will pacify him and keep him from killing me when he finally gets to me. He also sends his wives ahead of him, which, you know, it seems like he's being a little wimpy there. But finally, I don't know how they felt about it. You go ahead, just in case he's really mad. I would just love to have a version of the Bible that had the, the reactions and thoughts of the women involved in these stories. It's just terrible. But finally, after sending his wives and the last of his cattle and herdsmen, Jacob is finally alone with God. He thinks he's just alone, but he's alone with God. So Genesis 32, 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let us go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God 
and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites did not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So this mysterious stranger uh, turns out to be God in human form wrestling with Jacob. And something I want you to notice here, in verse 25, when the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of his hip. God could not overpower Jacob, apparently. To me, what this tells me is that our God goes where he's wanted with people. Jacob was fighting him. He wasn't showing any, um, any, any sign of caving or, or giving in into this fight. And so his will was completely against God. And God's like, he's still his same old self. So God just touched the socket of his hip. And, then by, uh, and, and finally, the table turned. And instead of the man wrestling Jacob and not letting him go, Jacob sort of realizes who it is. And he holds on to him. He says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And in that moment, Jacob gave permission to God to begin a great work in his life, where he was resisting him his whole life, not trusting him, sending delegations to try to, try to control every situation. There was this moment of surrender where he said, okay, bless me. I'm, I want you to be my God. So this God who's been gracious and patient to him, with him his entire life uh, finally gives him this blessing. And that name that God gave him, Israel, means he struggles with God. Because Jacob had struggled with God's, God and human beings, and he'd overcome. And what a visionary name, because he was about to meet what he thought was his death from his brother. And God said, no, you've overcome. I put my grace on you. I've given you my favor, unearned by you, and I've been patient with you, and I will be with you. Do not fear, I am with you. So the next day, equipped with a new name from God, and walking with a limp that would serve as a reminder, Jacob meets his brother Esau, and just as God had been gracious to Jacob, in case he didn't get the message, God had worked in Esau's heart. And we see uh, this, pa this passage in Genesis 33, it says, Esau ran up to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. What a beautiful picture of a lifelong journey of a belligerent, for lack of a better word, rather stupid and dull <laughs> in many ways, certainly faithless um, person who God was gracious and patient with and kind to. And this, is, this story is not about, of course, Jacob but this tells us something about who God is for us today. He is gracious. He is patient. Your life is not a hopeless plan B that will never be what God wants it to be. God is the only one who, when you turn to him, will treat you as if you'd never sinned. He's gracious and he's patient and he's kind. I want to share with you a couple of verses as we close. First from 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, 
not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to him in repentance. And this is a picture of, remember when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by God, that wicked city that was unrepentant. He gave them all this time to repent. But they didn't recognize that time for what it was, and they said, you know, we just have forever to live however we want to. But God was patient with them, not wanting to destroy them, not wanting to the, any of those people to perish. But they didn't see that time for what it was. So that's a little bit of a, little bit of a warning. So in, in Romans 2, 4 to 11, Paul has this great statement. Or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourselves for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then to the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Our story is not that different from Jacob's story. We come from messed up backgrounds with inherited sin problems, and we tend to have a, take a long time to learn the lessons that God is trying to teach us. But one thing we know, but two things we know about God, he's gracious and he's patient, and he doesn't desire that any should perish. He wants to work with people. But the time that he's given us here and now, when we're aware of the things that he, that he wants to do in our lives, um, we have to recognize this time as precious that he's given us. Because now is the time to turn to God, to our gracious God, to receive forgiveness, to receive um, strength for the journey, just to submit ourselves to him like Jacob did when he wrestled with God. And it says in this verse in Romans, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. You know, what counts is taking the gifts that God's given us and persistently working on those things and walking on those things with the knowledge that our gracious and patient Father is there wanting so much to bring that transformation in our lives, wanting to bring us to him. So this morning, uh, I don't know what this story and this sermon has brought up in your life, but know that God is far from done with you. Your life doesn't have to be plan B or second best. Turn to God now and receive the, the, um, the name that he wants to give you. A vision beyond your current circumstances. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your patience with us. Let us hear your voice in all the ways we need to hear it. Turn our hearts to you and fill us with your Holy Spirit. We are in desperate need of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in our lives. We thank you for the cross of Jesus through which um, we can come directly to you with the heavens opened. Let us value this time you've given us and walk in the ways that you're calling us to walk today, not tomorrow, not next week. Pray this in Jesus' name. Stand and worship with us.
Just like with Jacob, all God's looking for is access to your life. To say, I'm not going to let go of you till you bless me. Finally, just let God work in your life. Open yourself up to him. If that's you this morning, just open up that door to him. And if you need prayer today, ask the person sitting next to you to pray for you. Ask one of the elders to pray for you. Um, this is a time where, uh, where God wants to just get into our lives. It's not a question of his grace or his patience. He's dying to do this in us. So I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to know that God loves you, that he'll stick with you, and that the time he's given you is for a purpose. Open yourselves to him in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dispersed. Go and be the church. Receive prayer from someone. We're up here as well to pray for you if you like prayer.